When you look at the world, what do you most want to see different? Where's their brokenness that you want to see made whole and right? Well, in this video, we're going to talk about one area of our world where we want to partner with God in bringing wholeness and justice. I hope you'll join us in this. Hi, my name's Jason, and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. Welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. We're an online community who believes that even though there can be so much brokenness in our lives and in our world, Jesus offers everyone a life of wholeness and peace if we would learn to love as He loves. And so we want to help you find that life by being a part of our community where we're all learning from Jesus what it really means to love everyone always. And we want you to know that no matter who you are or what you believe about God, there's a place for you here. Because no matter what you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you. He's for you, and He only has good things in mind for your life. And we want to help you find all He has in store for you. And the best thing you can do today is to not let this video just be content you consume, but a doorway into a community that you can be committed to. And so we hope you'll take a step into our community today. Throughout the video today, you'll see a number on the screen. If at any point you feel like speaking to someone, go ahead and text that number. It'll go directly to our speaker and they'll get back with you as soon as they're able to do so. If you're watching us on a live stream, we'd love to hear from you right now in our chat. And if you've never communicated with us before, we really wanna hear from you. In fact, we're so serious about this that we want to offer you a free $10 Grubhub gift card just for commenting for the very first time. All you need to do is leave a first time chat with the words, I love free food, and we'll send you a Grubhub gift card on us. And if you're not watching on a live stream right now, you can still participate. Just text the words, I love free food to the number at the top of the screen, and we'll make sure you get a free gift card as well. I hope this is something you'll do because we're so excited that you're here and we can't wait to hear from you. Now it's time to get started with our main idea, but we want you to keep chatting with our community. And as you do that, let's watch this together. I'm so glad you're joining us today for an essential conversation. For the last few weeks, we've been listening to Jesus tell us how to take our lives, which often feel like they're in pieces, and how we can find peace by bringing them heart, soul, mind, and strength to follow Him. And that through that, we can learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, this week, uh, we're gonna continue on the second part of that taking the broken pieces of our relational world and with the help of Jesus, working for peace. And I just wanna say up front, it's gonna be an uncomfortable conversation. Our culture has so many places where we're in relationally in pieces, but I just want us to look at, at one of those. But because we're so in pieces on this one, it's gonna be really uncomfortable for me to talk with you about it. And I want you to be aware of that because most of us have been thrust into an uncomfortable or awkward situation with no warning. Like a parent who told about her four-year-old daughter saying to a black man in the store, why is your skin that color? 
Once the little girl saw a disabled veteran with prosthetic legs wearing shorts and said, hey, where'd you get those legs? And in truth, most of the time you just laugh at a four-year-old and just go on. But for this broken part of our relational world, when it's brought up among adults, it's almost always really uncomfortable. Because talking to people about race in our culture is at the top of, hey, let's don't talk about that list. Last August, I stuck my toe into this water and I found out from conversations that I had and emails I received, both supportive and not supportive, that this is a really much needed conversation. And my guess is that some of you are thinking, why talk about race again? I mean, slavery is 150 years ago and we've had a president and now a black vice president. Race is not a problem. All the talk about race is what makes it a problem. I, I know for some black and brown people, you're, you're tired of us talking about it, but not for those reasons. You're weary because talking about it, it hadn't helped anything. You tried to engage with white people about what it's like for you in this culture. And what you got was not a loving spirit of listening to learn. You were told, hey, you're overreacting. You're taking things the wrong way. And you're not grateful enough for how much things have changed. You're just an angry black woman or an ungrateful Latino man. If that's been your experience, I just wanna say I'm, I'm sorry. And I wanna do all I can to help. And to a very small degree, I think now maybe I understand a little bit not wanting to talk about it because I've had a small measure of people taking what I say and turning it into this either or kind of dichotomy that's both unhelpful and frankly untruthful. For example, when I say I can understand why people were motivated to want to chant Black Lives Matter, people say, oh, so you hate police officers. I didn't say that. Or so now you're for socialism. <laughs> I didn't say that. If I say, my heart goes out to the refugees, oh, so you don't believe in a safe border. <laughs> I didn't say that. And I get tired of having conversations with people with just a narrow perspective or and open to no other perspective. But I'll be honest, sometimes I hesitate to talk about race because I don't want to offend people of color. And I've done that before unintentionally. So up front, I want to confess my inadequacies. My understanding of this subject is limited to my experience and my perspective. I've lived my whole life in mostly white neighborhoods, gone to mostly white schools, who had teachers that were mostly white. I've worshiped all my life in mostly white churches. It's the world I know. But I've worked at trying to educate myself. I've been reading lots of books written by men and women of color. I've listened to tons of podcasts from men and women of color. I've had lots of conversations with people of color, but the best thing I've talked to is the people of color in, in our church. And I've asked, what do people like me, you know, well-intentioned people still not get about this topic? Help me understand. So I confess up front, I need grace. I, I know my limitations. I know I can't keep everyone happy no matter what I say. Some of you are gonna say, why'd he go there? Or others are gonna say, why didn't he go further? And so I can only make my aim to try to be faithful to what I think God has shown me. And I can live with that because we need to talk. The primary reason we need to talk about this is because everybody in our culture is talking about it. And it's my responsibility to speak to you about what God says, because that should matter most to those of us who are Christians, more than what our culture says, more than what our politics say or our family heritage says. 
We have to talk about this because God has spoken. And when God clearly speaks for followers of Jesus, that should silence all other voices. So let me be upfront. No matter what you hear anybody else say, I know my intent. I've got no plan to run some cultural agenda, promote personal opinions, or champion partisan politics. I have every intention to proclaim what God has said in his word. And to be honest, it frustrates me that many Christians today on the right and on the left are more discipled and informed by their favorite media outlet and political party than they are by Jesus. We said we would bring our heart, soul, mind, and strength to him. So I just want you to see what God says about this. In the beginning, God created the beauty of nature all around us. He created mountains and oceans, galaxies and subatomic particles. He created the burning core of the sun and black holes, as well as every hair on every mammal. And with every volcanic eruption and every bluebird song, every sunrise and every blade of grass that sprung up in the prairies was accompanied by the voice of God declaring, it is good. But after five days of creating the astounding beauty that so many of us marvel in awe, God hadn't even scratched the surface. His most beautiful creation was still to be birthed into existence. Then God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, let us make human beings to be like us, distinct, but not separated from one another. Just as we are three, yet still one God of love, may they be a diverse people, united in perfect, selfless love. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And as every skin tone, every hair texture, every bone structure and body shape, every face, every eye, every voice, and every heart was created, God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And he made us in his same creative image that we would go forth and multiply across his beautiful planet. And we would create cultures and languages and music and food. And in every meal that was crafted, every song that was shared, and every tradition and culture passed down the glorious creativity of our God it could be seen. Because the image of God is not found in a temple or a church building or a painting or a sculpture, but in every woman, every man, every child across the diversity of our planet. You are not a mistake. You were created in love and to be loved. And though we divide and we separate, we were created to love one another. And in the end, this is how it will be. A great multitude of people from every nation and every language gathered in unity around the throne of our loving Creator. And there will be no division or hate, for we will see one another as He sees us. And when God looks at us, at you, He smiles and He declares, it is good.
This conversation might be challenging, but there's some things that are easy for every Christian, no matter their ethnicity, to affirm. And that's what I want to talk to you about. There are four big truths that I want us all to get. Here's the first core truth. We all bear the image of God. The Bible destroys racism at the very first page. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's why we believe that all people have inalienable rights. Not because the government said they do. Not because the majority voted for them to have them. But because they are image bearers of God. And that image can't be denied. It can't be removed. But that doesn't mean that throughout history people haven't tried. Especially based on race. So you need to know, if, if you don't already, race is not a scientific reality. It's a sociological category. Scientifically, every human being has 99.9% identical DNA. And for a long time, people accepted that. In fact, race was not used to categorize people until the 16th and 17th century when in Europe, certain people used skin tone to categorize people. Now, of course, they had a very strong reason to do that. They're trying to find a way to justify their capturing and enslavering an entire people group. And so they came up with what they called scientific, a way to classify people as less than. Now, I'm not saying that prejudice and bigotry haven't always existed. I'm merely saying that until the 16th century, you could be a Jew or you could be a Roman and you could be dark-skinned or you could be light-skinned. And the idea of classifying people by skin tone, that's fairly recent in the history of the world. But because sin has entered the world, man always looks for a reason to put down other people. It's why in our lifetime, we saw a million Rwandans massacred in a genocide as dark-skinned people murdered dark-skinned people. And it's why in the nation of Yugoslavia split up, we saw light-skinned people murder light-skinned people because they were a different religion. Uh, if everybody on earth was exactly the same, the power of sin is still so strong, we'd still find a way to say, you're different and you're less than me. But we go back to the very first page of the Bible. All people bear the image of God. And we have to start our conversation there. It impacts the way I look at so many important issues. It's why I'm opposed to abortion, because that unborn child bears the image of God. It's why I condemn sex trafficking, because the child or the woman that you're objectifying bears the image of God. And I don't understand. If I, if I condemn abortion or sex trafficking, nobody sends me an email and says, hey, keep the politics out of the church. But if I mention race, that's what I'm going to hear. What I'm saying to you is, is the same reason I'm against it. I believe every single human being is an image bearer of God. We are all commonly human, and we are all equally valued by God. This is the first core truth to loving our neighbor in this broken pieces area of race. Core truth number two, God loves the whole world. This is a the heart of the best known gospel verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's the thing we miss. Jesus' original followers, they had to be convinced that that was true. They were not raised to believe that God loved the whole world. They thought God played favorites, but that's always been wrong. 
You can find this truth all throughout the original Jewish scriptures that Christians call the Old Testament. When he first calls a man named Abram, who God would later change his name to Abraham to follow him, God said, through you, I'm gonna redeem the whole world. Paul, a Jewish follower of Jesus, generations later would comment on that and say, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, announcing the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Now let me make two big points here for you to hear on this. Anytime you read the words nations in the New Testament, it's the Greek word ethno. It's literally where we get the word ethnic groups. God said to Abram, I'm gonna bless every ethnic group on earth through you. Second point, Paul said that God was announcing the gospel or the good news through Abram, which means Jesus didn't come to bring a new plan. Jesus came to bring a new way to bring that to completion. God's always plan was to reach, redeem, and save all the ethnic groups because God loves the whole world. That's why when you read the life of Jesus, you can see Jesus consistently and aggressively confronting the false narrative of ethnic superiority. One of the famous places is when Jesus cleanses the temple. People think they see Jesus mad and they think it's about money, but that's not really the whole story. Here's how Jesus defended his actions. He said, it's written, my house shall be a, prayer, a house of prayer for the nations, which now we know means ethnic groups, but you turned it into a den of thieves. And the part of the temple that had been set up as the marketplace was the part of the temple that was called court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles or the court of the ethnic groups. This was supposed to be the place where a person of any ethnicity could get closer to God. And you've taken it and made it more challenging to get to God. No wonder he's angry. And it's not just there. You read it every Christmas that at his birth, the angel said, it's good news of great joy for all people. The disciple John in his good news account of Jesus' life makes a point to tell us that Jesus goes out of his way to talk to a Samaritan woman at the well. He heals a Canaanite woman's daughter. And then one of the last things he says to the followers is, make disciples of all the nations. And now you know, he said, ethnic groups. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What Jesus is making clear is that God loves everyone. If we're gonna be people who love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we should be clear that loving our neighbor involves moving into multi-ethnic kind of love because Jesus' kingdom is a multi-ethnic kingdom. In spite of our prejudice and breaks our relationships into pieces, God's multi-ethnic kingdom is happening. In fact, it's happening in ways that most of us don't realize. Did you know that in 1900, 82% of the people who called themselves Christians in the world lived in either Europe or North America? Almost all of them were white. In the year 2000, only 39% of Christians in the world live in Europe or North America. By the year 2050, it'll only be 28% of that. 28% of Christians in Europe and North America. Many, if most of them, will be people of color. In my lifetime, only one of four Christians in the world will be white. Jesus is getting what he wants. The story that people tell that says Christianity is an aging white men's religion, <laughs> is just not true. 
The average Christian in our world now is female, not male. She's brown, not white. And she isn't old, she's 22. And by the way, she doesn't live above the equator. And she's not afraid of suffering for her faith because she's already seen great faith in Christians older than her who have suffered for following Jesus again and again. If the American church thinks that somehow God's primary goal is to preserve what we've known as culture, in our culture as a church, for most of our lives, we are just wrong. Jesus is at work in the ethnic groups. And I'm so glad that Jesus is a savior for the whole world because Jesus ethnically did not look at all like me. In spite of what you've seen in the movies and paintings, Jesus was not white. Jesus was a dark-skinned Middle Eastern Jew, and yet he loves me. Followers of Jesus, we believe that the work Jesus accomplished on the cross not only broke down the barriers between people and God, but also the barriers between people. In this one act of love, Jesus made it possible for the diversity of God's creation to be one people made new in the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's at the communion table where we remember this every week. We use the emblems of bread and juice that Jesus himself used to remember his body and blood given for us out of his great love that we don't deserve. So if you're prepared to remember Jesus in this way today, you can use whatever emblems you have on hand, a piece of bread or a cracker to remember Jesus' body, and a cup of juice or even water to remember his blood. The emblems you choose aren't as important as who you're remembering. And as we take these symbols, we're gonna sing a song that reminds us, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we come from, or the color of our skin, all of us are one in Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross because none of us earned our way there. He simply takes us just as we are, and He makes us into something new and beautiful. And if you're not sure you believe all of the things that we do, I would encourage you, just use this time to reflect on what you've experienced today. Is it possible there's a God who loves you no matter who you are or what you've done? Is it possible that He wants to, to bring you into a new life where you can be united with people who may look nothing like you? but are just as dearly loved by God? And is it possible there's nothing you have to do to earn it because Jesus has already done it all for you? If you feel led to do so, maybe reach out to God in prayer or reach out to us in text. But as we sing this next song, let's remember Jesus and the new family that He has brought us into. Undeserved is freely given. All my regrets and my failures, all of my wrongs have been left at the cross. Now all that remains is a father's love. Oh Over and over you call 
love me, how you love me. Your kindness and mercy remind me how you love me, how you love me as I am. So let us be together, seated at your table in communion. Oh, everyone is equal in your presence. Because where I am from or where I've been, the way that I've lived or the color of skin, nothing will change how the Father loves me. Lord, you take me as I am. Over and over you call me yours again. You see it all still, you want me, how you love me, how you love me. Your kindness and mercy remind me how you love me. How you love me as I am. All my regrets and my failures, all of my wrongs have been left at the cross. All that remains is the Father's love. Oh, Lord, you take me as I am. Over and over you call me yours again. You see it all still. You want me, how you love me, how you love me. Kindness and mercy remind me how you love me, how you love me as I am. Jesus loves me, and he loves you. The cross is proof of this. And therefore, because I love him wholly, you don't have to look like me for me to love you. That brings me to the third big idea that flows right out of this series. We cannot love God if we don't love our neighbor. Racism can only exist in the heart of a person or in a church that cuts off a part of the good news of Jesus. It only happens in the heart somehow believes that the good news was about Jesus making me right with God and has no impact on how I treat my neighbors in the world. It takes the cross on which Jesus gave his life and turns it into a vertical stick that most often is used to beat up and separate people that Jesus loves. I mean, we spent every week this year looking at one command of Jesus, the one where he said, this is what's most important, love God with all you've got and you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. And the rest of the writings from the followers of Jesus make clear, you can't separate these two because God loves others through you and you receive love from God through others. From the time Jesus walked the planet 
People have tried to justify themselves so they don't have to love other ethnic groups. When Jesus one time gave this answer to a lawyer, the lawyer seeking to justify himself for his bad behavior asked, so uh, define neighbor for me. And Jesus told one of the most famous stories in the history of liter literature and intentionally brought up the subject of race. I mean, he didn't have to do it. He's told a story about a guy going down a road and getting mugged, left in a ditch, and this Jewish priest walked right past him. Then this Jewish lawyer, lawyer walked right past him. And then Jesus could have said, and then a tax collector walked by him. They hated them too, even though they were the same race. He could have said a prostitute walked past. It made the same point. But Jesus is making a point. So he said, a Samaritan came by and he was the one that helped the man in the ditch. You want a test of how to know if you're a racist? If you never find yourself in a ditch with somebody who isn't like you, if you've never taken a step towards someone who doesn't look like you, and the reason you step toward them is because you know God loves them just like he loves you, how can you claim that you're close to God if you've never intentionally taken the step in the direction of someone who was far from you? So Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one that had mercy on him. You notice he can't, he's got so much racial residue on his mind that he can't even speak the word Samaritan. But Jesus won't let it go. He said, go, do likewise. Not go and pray likewise. Not go and feel likewise. Because the love that is heart, soul, mind, and strength, that love does. Love takes concrete steps in the direction of someone that the culture has told you is less than. And I believe God's gonna give us opportunities in the next few weeks and the next few years, and a lot of opportunities to do that. But I wanna encourage you to take one intentional step. Find someone of a different ethnic group and listen. I'm especially challenging my white brothers and sisters. Talk to someone of a different ethnicity and just say, I don't know what it's like to wake up every day in a culture where you're the minority. I've been in the majority my whole life. Help me understand. Listen, don't push back, don't argue. Don't say, eh, I don't see it that way. Or, boy, you're taking it the wrong way. Or you shouldn't feel that way. Don't invalidate someone else's experience just because you never had it. Listen. The young mom I told you about earlier says that she does something brilliant whenever her child makes one of those statements that, that makes it kind of awkward. She takes the child and they go and meet the person that the child was referring to and they make a new friend. That's what love does. We should want to do that. What I'm talking about ought to be our desire because it is gonna be our destiny. That's the fourth core truth. God values and redeems all ethnicities. Now, please listen real close for the next few minutes. Whenever a people group, an ethnic group is the majority, it's understandable, it's natural that that sort of becomes the norm and what becomes the norm can begin to be seen as what's best. I was raised in a culture where white was the norm. 
All my money had pictures of white people. And when I went to school and had textbooks about the people who built our country, they were all white. And when I went to church and they showed me pictures of Jesus and all his Jewish followers, they were all white. Now, I know for sure my mom and dad, there was nothing malicious about how I was raised, but it would be hard to be raised that way and not think that white was normal, even unintentionally. So white must be best. I remember imagining what heaven would be like, and guess what? Everyone was white. We all gathered around a white Jesus, and we sang Fanny Crosby and Chris Tomlin in English. But then I began to read the book. And it doesn't take long to see that in heaven, no one culture is validated over another. Every single culture will be celebrated with all others. Revelation 5 says, we will sing new songs with the words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed. People for God from every nation, language, people, and ethnicity. You caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. They will reign on the earth. Two chapters later, after this, a great crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the thrones and before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes and hyssop branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Christians, this is our future. Finally, Revelation 21, John said, I saw this, the nations walking in the light, the kings of the world entering the city in all their glory. And all the nations, all the ethnic groups will bring their glory and honor into the city. See what John sees? Not a heaven where one culture is elevated, culture where every ethnic group is celebrated. That God says in every ethnic group, I stamp my image and there's beauty, there's wonder, there's grace, there's wisdom, and I'm gonna redeem this glory from every single ethnic group. It's gonna be a part of the eternal kingdom that reigns on the earth. Our future, it's multicultural. And our mission, is for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. God wants the church of today to be a picture of the great eternal tomorrow. He wants a church where differences are celebrated, not eradicated. He wants a church that doesn't settle for what is, but it pursues what should be. God could not be more clear about it. And that's why I talk to you about race again. Because where God clearly speaks, we cannot be silent. We must join the conversation. We have to say something. And it'll also lead us to do things, say things that there'll be things we won't say anymore. Sometimes it means we have to no longer say things the way we said it for a long time. I heard a story from Jonathan Storman. Jonathan, like me, was raised in the South. He, he's from Arkansas, and he admits he was raised in a racist environment. He had a Confederate flag on his bedroom wall, and he wore a shirt that had a Confederate flag on it. One time, a black man got so mad at him about his shirt, he pointed a gun at Jonathan. He didn't change his shirt. He did say after the man left, he changed his pants. But Jonathan said, that's not who I am today. So we changed him. Wasn't fear, it was water. He met the real Jesus and decided that he would love him heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first step in that was to be baptized. He said he knew when he got out of the baptistry that 
There were things he could no longer say, and there were things he had to start saying. He tells just a few weeks later, he, his faith got tested. He's in a car with some of his buddies and they started harassing a black family yelling racial slurs at them. And Jonathan said, hey guys, stop it. I, I don't talk that way anymore. They got angry, which led to a fight. And Jonathan admits he lost. He got kicked out of the car and he had to walk the rest of the way to school. But he says, when I look back at it, that was the day that I realized I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian before I'm a Southerner. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a Christian before I'm a white man. I follow Jesus. And there are things I can't say anymore. And there are things that I have to say. Is racism ever gonna go away? Not until Jesus returns and makes all things new. But here's what I believe. Even though sin will always destroy, divide, and put down people, we are people who've been washed of our sins by the blood of Christ. We are people who've been freed from the power and tug of sin by the Spirit of Christ. Sin no longer is our master, and we can be people that live and speak a better story. And God helping us, we will. Because God has spoken, and God is still speaking. That's why we pray to God. What do you want to say to me? So I want to give you a prayer challenge this week. I hope you pray it every day. God, what do you want to say to me about this subject of love for all people? Heavenly Father, what do you want to show each of us about what it means for us to love all people just as you do? Where have we fallen short in this? What actions can we take this week to join you in bringing justice, love, and peace to all people? Speak to us and we will listen. Help us to love our neighbor, even our neighbor who doesn't look or think or act like us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I hope this video was helpful to you today and I hope that it won't be your last interaction with our community. We believe Jesus offers a life of wholeness, peace, and love for all people. And that life is best found in a community where we can learn from Him how to love everyone always. So I'd love to help you take a step into our community to do that this week. One way you can do that is by going to our website, cccanywhere.com. You'll find a whole bunch of resources there to help you better connect to God and with other people, including some designed especially for your children. You'll also see ways to give to our church. Now, not because we need your money, but because part of loving and trusting God is trusting Him with some of what He's given to you so you can care and support others. But the best way to get involved with our community is by clicking on the card on that website that says, join our Facebook group. It'll immediately take you to our Community Christian Anywhere Facebook group where if you click the join group button, you can connect with us throughout the week. I hope you'll do that. But most of all, I hope you leave today knowing that no matter who you are or what it is you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you.